Luke chapter 13 tonight. And uh, again, it is a good, great privilege of ours to be able to be here. And uh, as Pastor said, if you do have more questions, feel free to stop by our table, grab one of our prayer cards to remind you to pray for us. Uh, if you want more, inf- uh, more updates on us, we do have a sign-up sheet for our prayer letter. That goes out every two months. Um, we also have uh, more periodic face uh, updates that we put out on Facebook, uh, and that information is on the back of the prayer card if you want to have more information about us and know how to better pray. Luke chapter 13 is uh, an interesting chapter in the Bible, uh, probably one of the most negative chapters in the book of Luke when you consider everything that Luke wrote on. Uh, there's a lot of instances in this chapter where Jesus is talking and condemning people and uh, focusing on uh, the people who aren't going to believe in him. And uh, tonight I want to be able to look at this passage and encourage our hearts a little bit to be a challenge to us, but also to lift us up and be encouragement. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 23. Then said one unto him, Lord... Are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know ye not, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunken in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. Tonight I just want to talk to you for a short period of time and see what God has to teach us from his word about when the door of mercy closes. Let's ask his blessing. Father, as we come before you, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. Lord, use your spirit to speak through me that it would clearly preach those things which you have challenged me with. Lord, I pray that my words may be forgotten, but that your words will remain. Lord, we ask that tonight all of the cares of the world, all of the busyness that we have would be set aside for a few short moments so that there would be nothing to distract us from hearing your word and hearing your spirit tonight. Work in our hearts, Lord, and have free reign, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We have the beginning of this passage, and as I said, in this passage, Jesus Christ has been a bit more negative in his dealings. At the very first couple of verses, he talks about uh, how these people are coming to him, and they say, listen, their Pilate did these awful things to these people, and Jesus turns around and said, do you think they were worse than you? But unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. And that tower that fell on those 13 people, do you think that they were worse sinners than you? But if you don't repent, you will likewise perish. Later on, he goes with some Pharisees and heals this woman and says, you hypocrites, if, if you had some uh, beast of burden that was uh, in need, you would help it out. And this woman, who is one of your sisters uh, in Israel, she's been in bondage for 18 years. Should not she be healed on the Sabbath? And that tells that they felt ashamed in their hearts and the people rejoiced over that. 
there was another passage in here uh, in verse number uh, 6 where he talks about the parable of a barren fig tree and says, you know, if this tree isn't bearing any fruit, the master is going to come and say, why is this tree troubling the ground? Cut it down and we'll put something else there. And the keeper of the vineyard says, wait, 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 wait for one more year. I'll treat it specially. I'll put dung around it and I'll see if it can grow anything. If it grows fruit, then well, we've got a tree that's producing fruit. But if not, then we'll cut it down. But just wait a little bit. And then we come to this passage here, and it tells us in verse 22 that this is some time afterwards. He went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying through Jerusalem. And one said unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Uh, We don't have who asked this question. We don't even really have the circumstances that brought about this question. Maybe it was one of the disciples hearing all of this teaching that he's been giving about, you know, this tree that's not going to produce fruit, or if you don't repent, you're going to likewise perish. And maybe they're looking at it and saying, well, are there going to be all that many people who get saved then? The question is presented in an interesting fashion too, because uh, it's a question that is presented from the negative. It's not, well, how many people are going to get saved? Uh, are there lots of people that are going to get saved? It's, well, are there few that are going to be saved? And I think that the Holy Spirit, working through Luke, purposely put this passage together where these stories coincide, even though that the events may not have been one right after the other. I think that the Holy Spirit purposely had these arranged together so that the themes of these men being guilty in the parable of the barren tree where he's saying, you know, cut it down. No, just give me another year to work on it. To now we have this individual coming and saying, well, are there just a few that are going to be saved? The insinuation is that the asker had reason to believe that there would be few and not many. Uh, But the idea of being saved in this question is also a unique one too. Uh, There's only one other time where this word is being used in the context of the kingdom of heaven and salvation. And it's after the rich young ruler came to Jesus and went away depressed and Jesus said, how hard it's going to be for the rich people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It'd be like a camel going through the eye of the needle. And they say, well, who then shall be saved? And Jesus says, with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And here in this passage we have this question brought to Jesus, who will be saved. Are there few that will be saved? Uh, Christ provides a more detailed answer than just yes or no, because it's a detailed question and it needs a detailed answer. We see the first part of this answer is the requesting of many. It says in verse 24, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter therein, Uh, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. We have the idea here that many are seeking salvation. This is not something that is often portrayed in the Christian world. We look at it as, you know, we have to go out there and we have to really work hard to reach people for Christ. And it's just, you know, going out as a missionary, you're going to have to be prepared to do a lot of hard work, which, fair point, in Germany, we're going to have to do a lot of hard work. Most missionaries do. They don't just arrive on the field and people are clamoring to take tracts out of their hands and falling down and saying, tell us about Jesus. Once in a while you'll hear a missionary about that where God is doing a miraculous thing. 
But most of the time, missionaries have to do hard work to get a work planted. All of us do. But the fact still remains that there are many who are seeking after salvation. Many people who are desiring of it. The issue that really comes is that they're trying to do it in the wrong way. I mean, think about it. What does Jesus Christ have to offer that would be so offensive to most people? Eternal life, eternal joy, peace, love. Those are things that the world is clamoring after. They're so desperate for love, they've perverted it into so many other different kinds of things that they want to call love. They're so desperate for joy, there's a multi-billion dollar industry for the purpose of bringing people entertainment to try and find that joy for them. People are desirous of peace. So many of the millionaires in the world would say, I'd give my fortune for just one hour of true peace. Things that Jesus has to offer is what people are seeking for. Many are seeking after that salvation, forgiveness from sin, eternal life, heaven with God forever. None of those things are undesirable. They're things that people want. Many people are seeking to enter into heaven. That's something the devil doesn't tell us very often because he doesn't want us to realize that. He wants us to think, no, you're the fringe, you're the minority. You know, people are just going to reject your message. They're not going to listen to you. They don't want what you have. You're being a bother. You're being a nuisance to them. Right? Isn't that the way we feel when we try to witness to people? Go out and knock on their doors. Sorry to bother you. I just wanted to, if you have a few moments, talk to you about your eternal salvation. Imagine if Ed McMahon were to do that with people. Hi, uh, sorry, don't need to bother you too much. You know, if you're busy, it's okay. But if you have a few moments, I'd like to talk about giving you a million dollars. No, I'm too busy for a million dollars. And yet we come with something so much greater than money. Eternal life through Jesus Christ. Eternal forgiveness. And we act like it's something that we should be... We're, we're bothering people by offering it to them. Understand, people are seeking salvation. Many are striving to come to salvation. The problem is, is they can't enter because they're seeking it the wrong way. If you look down in verse number 25... It says, they begin to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He shall answer and say unto them, I know not whence ye are. And they shall begin to say, we have eaten and drunken in thy presence. Thou hast taught in our streets. Look at how they petition to Christ to let them in. They go off of their association with God rather than their relationship with him. We, were, we ate in your presence. Doesn't say that they dined with him. Look at it again. We have eaten and drunk in thy presence. Doesn't say we ate and drank with you in your presence. They were in the streets where he taught, not that they listened to him. Verse number 26, thou hast taught in our streets. See, if, if it were somebody that were truly acquainted with Christ, somebody who truly knew Christ, they'd say, well, we ate with you, we drank with you. We listen to your preaching. That's not how they phrase it. They say, 
we ate and drank in your presence and, and you were on our streets and, and we, we heard you on our streets. Not that they listened to him. Not that they fellowshiped with him. Just that he was there. A lot of people are not willing to come to Christ through Christ, but try to get there their own way. They try to make deals with Christ. Well, you know, I'll, I'll believe in you, but let me add my works into this. Let, let me just check all of the boxes to make sure. It's not what Christ said. Christ isn't a just-in-case salvation. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That but is an inclusive word and an exclusive one. It means you need to believe in him, but it also means you can't believe in anything else. It is but by Christ, nothing else beside him. And too many people want to come to Christ through their own works or by their own way. We ate with you. We drank in your presence. We heard you on our streets. You taught there. But what does Christ answer? I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. Not one of mine. How sad it would be to have someone so close to Christ and yet still miss him. To have him eat and drink in your presence and to have him teach in your streets. But when he closes the door of mercy to be on the outside and saying, Lord, Lord, open. And he'll say, I don't know you. They can't enter because they're seeking the wrong way, but they also can't enter because they delay in their seeking. Notice that in verse 25, it's not until after the door is closed that they begin to stand and knock. He says, once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut the door, and ye begin to stand without. It wasn't until after he closed the door that they said, oh, hey, we, we're, we're, we want to be inside. I don't know who you are. All my friends are already here. All my family is already on the inside. See, the truth of the matter is, is that there is coming a day when that door of mercy is going to close. And I'm not talking about the final closing of it before the end of the world. Every person has a time when that door of mercy is going to close for them. And there's going to be a time where it's the last time that they get to hear the message of salvation. There's one time where it's going to be the final time before they have to stand and meet their maker. That door of mercy only is open for so long. One day it will close. And those that delay in coming will find that the door is closed and that they're too late to come in. Only after the door is shut do they begin to seek after him. Now, I'm not saying that it's too late. As long as there is breath within your body, there's another chance. But one day that door of mercy does close. One day you tell God no enough times and he's going to take it for his answer. And that's sad. Because nobody goes into hell without telling God no. 
There's nobody who's going to be able to stand before God and say, I never had a chance. Romans makes that ever so clear to us. Everybody who goes, goes there knowing that they have rejected God in one form or another. It'll be a day of weeping and mourning when instead of them telling God no, he's the one telling them no. I don't know you. You can't come in. There will be the requesting of many to be let in, but there will also be the rejection of many. Verse number 25, he says, And knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence ye are. They shall begin to say, We have eaten and drunken in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know, not, uh, know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. None are rejected while the door of mercy remains open. The Bible is very clear that all are welcome to partake of Christ's mercy. Whosoever will may come. The Bible is clear on that. Christ wants all to come. 2 Peter 2, 3 Second uh, Peter chapter three verse nine uh, tells us that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We use the word the will of God a lot of times in church, right? You want to know what the will of God is? That none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the will of God. God is not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. It is not few who enter because the master is denying them entrance. It is few who enter because they either come at the wrong time or they come in the wrong way. God is long-suffering. That same verse that tells us that God is not willing that any should perish also tells us that God is long-suffering to usward. It's why the door of mercy still remains open. It's why there's still opportunities for people to get saved. It's why Christ hasn't come back yet. Brother, aren't you glad God didn't come back two weeks ago? Because your brother wouldn't be saved. Aren't you glad he waited a little bit longer? You know, we're so ready and excited for Christ to come back, but what about all those people who are going to be on the outside? It's going to be a great day of great joy for us, but it'll be a day of weeping and gnashing of teeth for them. One day that door will close, however. One day that last opportunity will come. The same passage that tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, goes on the very next verse to say, but the day of the Lord will come. And that day of the Lord is a day of judgment, is a day of wrath. It is a day where there will not be any mercy. One day the master will rise up, One day he will close the door. And once that door is closed, it will not open to any. And there is a reason for that. Think about Noah. The Bible tells us then that when Noah was told to go into the ark a week before the rains fell, that God was the one who closed the door. God was the one who kept it shut. None could open it. It divided a lot of people into destruction outside, but it also divided eight people into safety and salvation. 
If God had opened that door when the floodwaters were coming down, what do you think would have happened? God kept that door closed a purpose. One day the door of salvation is going to close, and it's going to close so that heaven remains perfect. The Bible tells us in Revelation that in that perfect heaven, in that new heaven and new earth, the gates of new Jerusalem will never be closed because there won't be any enemies. There won't be anybody to keep out. But until that time, there are those who reject God, and those who tell God no. And God says, okay, I'm going to close that door so you're on the outside and my people are safe inside. And I'm not going to open to you because... You're not going to come in here and be part of my family and mess things up. Now, don't misunderstand me. God is willing to take the worst of us. Anyone is able to come. There is nobody that God will turn away while the door of mercy is still open. But once that door closes, there's no more mercy. And my point to all of this is to encourage you and challenge you and say, listen, the time is drawing closer every day, draws closer to that final day of mercy. One day it's going to close and everybody who's on the outside of that door is lost and will perish. But right now there's still time. Right now the door of mercy remains open. Right now, there are people who can enter in and be welcomed into God's family wholeheartedly with joy and excitement. The Bible tells us that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that comes to repentance. There was a missionary several years ago, uh, I don't know how long, who went to this coal mining town to start a church. And during his time there, he stayed about two or three years, and he only saw one individual saved. Just one. But this one individual grew up to become a missionary. And this missionary went over to Japan and started over 70 churches there. That missionary in the coal town probably left and thought that he was a failure because he only reached one person. Well, what can God do with one person? Dr. Don White was that missionary who went over to Japan and started over 70 churches. We had the privilege uh, at the beginning of our deputation to be able to meet him and hear some of his story. You say one person, yeah, heaven rejoices over one person. When that thief on the cross told Jesus, remember me, in remember me when you come into your kingdom, and he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise, the angels were rejoicing over that. You say, he never did anything. It doesn't matter because God isn't willing that any should perish. That thief on the cross dying and in his last moment accepting Christ, God says, it's my will that he's in heaven with me. And the angels are rejoicing because God's will is done. What if that thief had waited another hour or two? The door of mercy would have been closed. The whole point that I'm trying to get across to you is that the door of mercy is still opened right now. 
If you're here tonight under the sound of this preaching, if you're watching it via live stream, you've never trusted in Christ. Today is the day before the door of mercy closes to accept his gift. Don't come too late because you might find the door closed. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible tells us. Today is the day to accept his gift. Those that are on the outside will not be safe, and they cannot in any wise enter in, just as those who are inside can in no wise be cast out. Once that door is closed, we are safe from being cast out. We never will be. Of course, while it's still open, we won't ever be cast out. God has made us that promise. But to know the safety of it being closed and us being on the inside, it's a joyous thing. We've seen the requesting of many. We've seen the rejecting of many. But we also need to pay attention to the rejoicing of many. The question that was presented to the, the Christ at the beginning was, Lord, are there few that be saved? Christ doesn't tell him, no, there aren't few that will be saved. He goes on and says, many will seek to come in and will be turned down because they come the wrong way or they come at the wrong time. But look at what he says in verse number 28. He says, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. See, many will seek to enter and be refused because they come the wrong way or they come at the wrong time. But there will be many who seek to enter and will be granted in. So that's the side of it that we forget sometimes we forget that there's going to be a lot of people that enter through the straight gate, that come through the narrow way, that come through Christ and Christ alone. They will come from the north, the south, the east, the west. There will be great multitudes that no man can number around the throne of Christ. There will be many that accept. And that's where I want to be the encouragement. I wanted to challenge you tonight and say, listen, the time is short. The door of mercy is still open. We need to reach them while it still is. But I want to encourage us and say, listen, there's going to be a lot of people that go through that door of mercy. Don't think that this is a futile effort. Don't think, well, we just have to go out bow, and do our job. No, there are lots who will come and accept Christ. That's the joyous thing. They will come through Christ alone. They will come at the right time. They will still find that door of mercy open and the Savior with open arms to welcome them in. The work of missions is to bring in from all the earth and they will be received. By the way, that's not just the job of people who go out to foreign fields. You know, when Jesus Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. He said that from Jerusalem. Washington is the uttermost parts of the earth compared to Jerusalem. This is a mission field right here. We look at missions as a partnership. We want to be your representatives in the field of eastern Germany, but we want you to be our representatives here in Washington. We're not going to be here to reach souls. We need people here to reach people for Christ. It's a team effort. We all work together to see that the Great Commission is fulfilled. And the time is drawing short, but while the window is open, while the door of mercy still remains open, there are many who will receive Christ. 
And we get to be a part of that. All we need to do is tell them about the Savior who died for them and loves them. The work of missions is to bring them in from all the earth. And a lot of times we forget that where we live is part of the earth. Well, it's our home. Yeah. But it's not. Heaven is our home. This is the mission field. But we have to reach them before that door of mercy closes forever. The time is growing shorter every day. And I know that's a self-evident thing to say. Obviously, the time of Christ returning is closer than it's ever been. It's the nature of time keeps on going whether we want it to or not. But we need to be reminded that one day that door of mercy will close. And that day is getting closer by the second. And even if it's not that last day of mercy closing... It might be for the person that we talk to next, the last time that they get to hear it. No man is guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know if the person you tell at the cash register, if that's the last time they're going to hear it. Wouldn't it be something if you were given the opportunity to be the last time somebody hears and you don't tell them? And the door of mercy closes. Too late. If we know that the time is drawing ever closer, why do we delay? What if tomorrow is the last day of mercy? What if the trumpet sounds tonight? What if it sounds tomorrow night? How would that change the way that we live? Hopefully, not at all. Because we ought to be living like it's the last time, every time. Now, hopefully, the Lord, in his long-suffering and in his mercy, will keep that door open for a lot longer. But the next time could be the last time. There are lots of people that are clamoring to enter into the door of mercy. Will we help them seek the Lord while he may be found? We can do it. People want it. They're striving to seek in. They're seeking to enter in. They're striving for it. Let's be faithful to point them the right way while the door is still open. Lord, as we come before you, we thank you for this simple lesson. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for the times where In fear, I remain silent. Lord, I want to be faithful and tell people. Lord, I'm certain that's the prayer of every believer in here, that we would be faithful to tell people about Christ. Lord, the devil is always at our ear, trying to keep us being silent. He knows he can't fight your word. The only way he has to win is if we don't speak. Lord, rebuke him for our sakes. Help us to be faithful in speaking. And Lord, we pray that as the time of mercy draws to a close, that we would be faithful until the last moment to tell others about the Savior who loves them. It's head bowed, eyes closed. I won't prolong the invitation, but I'd want to take an opportunity to pray for you. Maybe there's somebody that the Lord has put on your heart who doesn't know. 
The altars are open. I'll say a prayer for you, but why don't you come and say a prayer for them? Why don't you ask the Lord to keep that door of mercy open just one more time? Just one more opportunity to tell them. Maybe you're here tonight, you've never had that door of mercy open to you. Can I encourage you that the Lord would love to forgive you of your sins? He'd love to show you the same mercy that he's extended to many in this room. Come tonight. Pastor, one of his helpers, one of the deacons, myself, we'd love to be able to take you, man with man, lady with lady, show you how you can come to that door of mercy through Jesus Christ. If there's someone on your heart tonight, you say, Brother Stover, I want just one more opportunity to share the gospel with them. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm not very good at talking, but I want to be able to share the gospel with them one more time. I'd like to pray for you that God would give you that courage. If you'd slip up your hand in testimony to him, say, Brother Stover, I want one more chance to tell him about Jesus. The Lord's put someone on my heart. I want to be able to tell him. Lord, you see the hands that are up. You see these people who are testifying. Say, I want to get, tell them one more time. Lord, I pray that you'd give them courage. Give them the words to say. Lord, keep that door of mercy open just one more time. Lord, help us to be faithful. Give us grace, we pray.